Would you stand as we read this morning's scripture from Isaiah chapter 9? The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us, a child is born, and to us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Our kids can be dismissed down the hall at this time, and uh, we are so glad that you are here um, to worship with us at 9 o'clock. And uh, just a word before we get started today, I'm so excited about the Strong Students Project. I hope you will. This is, that's brand new for you. A lot of us have been working on this for a while. And so I uh, trust that you will become excited about it as well and see the potential and what we have in store and what God can do uh, in and through us as we uh, try to make the name of Jesus famous in this place. And so we hope that you'll join us in that project. Christmas, let's start this way. Christmas is both more wonderful and at the very same time more threatening than we can ever imagine. That's not the normal Christmas message, is it? Um, in my past, I had a chance once to go spelunking. Uh, for you elders and deacons out there, that is a fancy word for cave exploring, okay? And uh, one of the things that we were able to do, my friends and I, as we were in the middle of this cave, is we came into this big room and we were able to just sit and we turned off our headlamps so that it was pitch black. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation. Um, I could not see my hand in front of my face. And for a few minutes, it was, it was interesting, right? Um, but you sit in that state long enough, and you begin to be overcome with a certain dread, some fear. What if my light never turns on again? What then? And there's this maybe overwhelming hopelessness. Now, I can't create that exactly in the room today, but we are going to make it dark. Christmas is both more wonderful and threatening than we could ever imagine. And the threatening part of the Christmas message today is that the truth that the prophet Isaiah tells us, there are lines that he uses that are very familiar at Christmas time. Usually, they're read without much consideration. Uh, they came off as warm and fuzzy during uh, programs or maybe in a Christmas card, but I don't want you to be fooled. There, there's a pitch black overwhelming hopelessness, and here it is. We are in darkness. Verse 2 points to us this truth. Isaiah says that we are people who walk in darkness. It means that there's an unilluminated area, right? The absence of light. We are people walking without any light in total darkness. Not only this, but then skip down, still in verse 2, but 
the third line, he adds this, that we are walking in deep darkness. It adds to this idea of total darkness, the sinister element that we will never be able to escape this darkness that we are in. See, it's one thing to be in a cave for a while and turn your lights off for just a few minutes just for an experience, but it's a, it's a completely different thing to be trapped in a cave, to never escape. Deep darkness is a people who are trapped in the dark, and it carries with it this idea of death. Literally, the Hebrew reads death shadow for deep darkness or shadow of death. And so people that he's talking about, in other words, us, we are walking around this life in the dark with no way out. We are trapped and we are doomed to be permanently enveloped in the darkness until we die in it. Hey, Merry Christmas. We don't, we don't walk in the dark perpetually, do we? I mean, like we have the sun. Even, even now, the sun is bursting through the back windows, like killing the darkness. Have you ever thought about what would happen if the sun just went out? People who study these kind of things tell us that three things would happen immediately. First, the world by the end of the day would be zero degrees. Zero degrees. In just a few weeks, the Earth's temperature would be 100 below zero all around the globe. And then, in eventually a few months maybe, the, the Earth's temperature would stabilize at 400 degrees below zero. Now, is it possible to survive in that? Probably, yes, if you have the right conditions. But most of us would freeze to death before we would find a suitable shelter. By the way, I know where there's a cave and I can take a few of you, okay? But just, just a couple. Uh, second, photosynthesis would stop immediately. All the oxygen-producing plants on the earth would die. There would be no more oxygen from plants. Would it be possible to create oxygen from other sources? Yes, but most of us would suffocate before we could create oxygen for the whole human race. Here's number three. Even if we have shelter, even if we have oxygen to breathe, we'd lose all the nutrients from the sun that our bodies need to survive. There are things called serotonin and vitamin D, and you get those from the sun, and they are very difficult to replace without the sun. Without serotonin, we all get depressed, and without vitamin D, our bones and blood cells and immune systems begin to crumble. And so the bottom line is, no sun means no life. If the sun goes out, it's game over for some of us right away. A few of us would figure out a way, you know, and we'd live on a little longer, but eventually all of us would slowly but surely die. Now, it's easy to dismiss that, right? I mean, we, we wake up and there's the sun. What are the chances of the sun just going out? That's crazy talk. I mean, if the sun goes out, life will end. Yeah, got it. But that's not going to happen, right? And yet, just think for a second. It is happening. What do we know for sure? Here's what we know. The sun is going out. It's always going out. Every day, it's shrinking. Every day, we are getting a little closer to dying. Every one of us is losing ground. We're getting older. We're wasting away a bit more. We're going a bit slower. That's where the whole world is going, and the sun is just a picture of that. And there's nothing we can do about it. Maybe we say the thing, something like this, uh, of course, of course I'm not going to live forever, but, but here's what I can do. 
I can live really well, and I can live on in the memory of my family. I, I can do things in this life to make a difference so that people will remember me. Really? How long will that last? The sun is dying. And at some point in the game, no one is around to remember anything that anyone did ever. And that's where we are. We are in the darkness. But not just in the darkness. We are in what Isaiah says is the deep darkness. We're in a darkness we cannot escape from. It means that we will die in the darkness in the death shadow. And if you think that's bad, it gets worse because there's more darkness that we constantly add to the already dark death shadow that we live in. Now, maybe that's an impossibility to talk like that, that we could add darkness to darkness, right? Darkness is already dark. Uh, but it's fair to say this, that we can absolutely perpetuate darkness. And we do that a couple ways. With evil, number one. I mean, take your pick. What was it this last week? It was a car barreling through a parade route, killing people. What will it be this next week? Who, who knows? But evil results in suffering and violence and injustice and abuse of power and homelessness and refugees fleeing and families divided and grief. Darkness comes with every news cycle, and it was no different when Isaiah penned these words. We perpetuate the darkness with evil. We also perpetuate the darkness with ignorance. Some of you, let's jump back into the way back machine. Some of you remember 1985. <laughs> and, you remember this thing called Live Aid in 1985, and a bunch of music artists from around the globe, they got together, and they got on the same stage, and they all sang, we are the world, we are the children, we are the ones to make a brighter day, so let's start giving. Sing with me. There's a choice we're making, we're saving our own lives. There it is. Stop, stop. There it is. We are saving ourselves. Really? I mean, I get it. Live Aid, everybody's coming together to get us through a rough patch, you know, to make some money so that, you know, people can keep on living. I get that. But is the line true? Can we really save ourselves? Bob Dylan was a part of that group that sang that song, and he must have been very uh, visibly uncomfortable on the stage because after he sang, the press asked him why he was so uncomfortable. And he said, those words, I couldn't sing truthfully because humankind cannot save itself. Bob Dylan is right, of course. But most people in our world are ignorant of that truth. For most of us, it's this. Yeah, we know we live in the dark, but you know what? We can overcome it ourselves. We can end the darkness with our own innovation, with our own intellect, with our own talent, with our own hard work, we just come together and sing a, a really cool song, uh, peace and unity and harmony will result, right? And you get hints of this belief more than ever at Christmas time. The belief is we have a light within us, and if we just tap into that, then unity and peace will result. Teach the world to sing, right? Give them a Coke. Uh, unity and peace. Will, will happen because we have it inside of us. And so we sing peace on earth and goodwill to men as if we can actually bring it. And we're ignorant of the fact that we cannot. 
Vaclav Havel says, the human race constantly forgets that he is not God. The message of Christmas is not that we have unity and peace. The message of Christmas is exactly the opposite, that we cannot save ourselves from the dark. In fact, the belief that we can save ourselves from the dark actually leads to more darkness. That's what Isaiah is telling us, the message of Christmas. We're all in the dark. We can't heal or save ourselves. We can't pretend. We can't lie to ourselves. We are in the dark, and we're going to die in the dark. Things really are this bad. And yet, there is hope. The message of Christmas is also that into this death darkness, a light has come. The message of Christmas is both, at the same time, more wonderful and more terrifying than we can imagine. A light has come. That's the wonderful part. The text reads this way. The people who walked in the dark have seen a great light, and on them has a light shone. It's not from among them has a light shone, but on them, on the world, a light has shone. If you're reading from the NIV, it's on them a light has dawned. It means the light is from outside of the world. The people in the world who were in darkness didn't produce the light. They didn't have some headlamp to turn back on. There was no switch on the wall, not even a match. Of The light comes from outside. Isaiah implies that this changes the game for people who are walking in this death darkness. And it changes the game because of what light does. Light brings life. In general, you have to have light to have life, right? The sun, it, we've, we already went through that. You need the sun to have life. But note here that the people walking in darkness already have the sun. They're not walking around in, in pitch black without a sun. They have the sun. They have light. This light is something different than the sun. Joel referred to it as he was talking about our communion time about the light being something different in heaven than the sun and the moon. We won't need the sun and the moon, right? That's what Isaiah 60 says. And also in Revelation chapter 21, same idea. We won't need the sun or the moon or their light in heaven. Why? Because there's an ultimate light that really does give life. It's why God, at the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1, he said, let there be What's the word? Light. And then there was life. If you read through Genesis chapter 1, you'll notice something, that there was light and then there was life in the form of plants and veg uh, vegetation and all that good stuff. And then later came the sun. How did the plants survive? It's this ultimate life, light that truly gives life. Things die even in the sunlight, but in the ultimate light of God, nothing ever dies, nothing ever decays, nothing ever suffers, and that's why heaven will be such an incredible life-giving place. The ultimate light has come, and it brings nothing but life. Wherever it shines, there is life necessarily because God is the source of all light, life, and so light brings life. Also, light shows us the truth. There's a reason why people wanting a romantic evening together love candlelight dinners. 
It's because at a darkened table, we all look better. <laughs> we all look better right now, right? I look better right now. The flaws and the wrinkles are just not as discernible because darkness conceals reality. But light reveals reality. I want you to think about being in your car late at night, it's pitch black, and you have the headlights on. Why do you have headlights on? It's because the headlights show you the truth. They show you the reality. They show you where the road is straight and where the road curves. And you need truth to steer your car safely down the road. And spiritually, it's the same idea. God is the source of all truth. At the, at the most basic level, the only way we know anything is God because He created us. He created our mind. And so we have the ability to think only because He created us that way. And on another level, we can't possibly know God unless He reveals Himself to us. And so everything we know is because He has chosen to let us know. He has revealed Himself so that we can understand who He is and thus who we are, His creation. God is the source of all truth, and light shows us truth. Here's the third thing about light. Not so much what it does, but what it is. It is beautiful. Light is beautiful. Check out our stage, right? That's beautiful. I love Christmas time because of the lights. A lot of people are that way. The first hint of Christmas is everybody puts out their lights, right? Our family has a kind of a tradition that we get together at the very beginning of Christmas season, and there's a fireworks display up in Kansas City, and we watch these lights against the dark sky. I love to go to a place like Branson and see all of the lights at Christmas time. It's magical. Lights are magical, right? But it's also quite literally true that light gives joy and beauty. Just go to places on the earth where there is no sunlight. If you go to Alaska, it's not the sub-zero freezing temperatures that really give Alaskans trouble. They, they just shrug the cold off. They don't worry about that too much. What hurts them, what weighs on them, is weeks without sunlight. Their bodies get confused. Is it morning or is it evening? 10 to 20 percent of Alaskans suffer from SAD, that's seasonal affective disorder, and a third of them struggle with mental health in some way. Why? Because they lack sunlight for weeks every year. We need light literally for health and joy, and God is the ultimate light. He's our source of all beauty and joy. Augustine wrote this, that even when you enjoy something else, God is actually the source of your joy. Because whatever is in front of you that you are enjoying at the moment, it bears God's signature. All joy is really found in God. And anything you jo enjoy is derivative of that because you are really looking for Him whether you realize it or not. And so God, the ultimate light, has life that we cannot generate for ourselves. He is the source of truth that we cannot know on our own. And He is the fountain of joy that we lack in the dark. And the message of Christmas is this, that this divine light has shone on us, it has dawned on us to bring us life, truth, and joy. The word for shone or dawned is, actually gives this idea of a flash of light. 
It's like a flash of a camera. This ultimate light, Isaiah says, has flashed upon us. And so we have to go to verse 6 to see how this flash gets triggered. He says, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, and Mighty God, and Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. What causes this flash of light? Answer, for unto us a child is born. This child brings the flash of ultimate divine light on the world because he is the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Those are four titles that are never given to anyone except God himself. They are four names for God alone. And so let's note a couple things while we're here about these titles. First, two of them are explicitly divine. He is the mighty God. He's not like God. He's not a representation of God. He's not some avatar of God. He is God. And then he is the everlasting father. It means that he has he has come from outside of all creation. He is the source of everything that is, and yet he is born. A child who is born, who is God himself. That's a huge claim. There is nothing like that claim in any other major faith. Isaiah talks of a child, and this person is obviously human because he was born but Isaiah also applies titles to him that are divine. And so this child is God himself. This child is the God-man. We could say it that way. And you and I, we know the end of the story. This child is Jesus Christ. The message of Christmas is that we are in the darkness of death. But the ultimate divine light has come to bring us life and truth and joy and this light is Jesus Christ. Christmas is about the birth of God on the earth, the man, Jesus Christ, is at the same time the mighty God and everlasting Father. And that's what we observe. That's what we acknowledge at Christmas. Now, we could point to 200 implications of that truth. Let me just give you a couple. If Jesus really is God, then we have to give him everything. John Stott uh, writes a little book called Basic Christianity, and in that book, he, he says this, that when you, when, when you read of the people who walked and talked with Jesus and, and actually heard the claims that Jesus was making about himself, you find that there are only three responses to his claims. Number one, people hated him and tried to kill him for claiming to be God. That was one response. Number two, People were scared to death of Jesus as a lunatic, and they ran away as fast as they could. Or number three, they fell down and they worshiped him as God himself. There was no other category of response. Now, since Jesus' day, we've made up another category. In our day, we've made up another category. It's like it's this. Well, I just like Jesus. That's the category we've made up. He's an inspiration to me. He's an example worth emulating. I can learn lots from Jesus. And that's new. And the reason it's new is because it's impossible. Nobody who really encountered Jesus ever had that kind of response. If they truly encountered the God-man Jesus, 
They didn't just like him. They either tried to kill him, ran away from him, or they fell down and worshipped him and gave him everything. If he is mighty God and everlasting Father, you have to do that as well. The two other titles given by Isaiah are implications that come out of this child being a human and at the very same time God. He's called Wonderful Counselor, and he's called the Prince of Peace. And if you have a God who becomes like us in every way, then that's exactly what you have. And so here's the second implication. If this man, Jesus, really is God, then we will want to give him everything. We won't just have to give him everything. We will want to give him everything. He's the wonderful counselor. Wonderful means he's beautiful. He's the source of everything in life that is beautiful and joyful. Anything in your life that is attractive to you right now, maybe it's a child or a project or a relationship or an experience, anything that's beautiful to you right now, he is the source of it because of what he has done. He's wonderful. But he's also the wonderful counselor. If what we have here is God becoming a human being, then the God we have is a God who understands us. We have a God who has walked in our shoes, who knows what we're going through. He understands us from the inside of our experience. And again, that's a huge claim that no other faith system makes. In fact, if you turn to the Muslim playbook, they would call this idea blasphemy. Because Allah would never stoop to become like a human being. He's a God. He's out of reach. He's separate. He's holy. Full stop. End of story. That's not the message of Christianity. Christianity and the message of Christmas is that we have a God who has become human, incarnate, who has lived in our flesh. And because he has done this, he gets it. He gets your suffering because he suffered. He gets the ache in your heart because he had aches in his heart. He wants your dreams to play out because he knows what it's like to long for something to come to be. And when you come and you talk to him, he understands. And this kind of wonderful counseling is also why he's called the Prince of Peace. Exposing himself to our pain and then giving himself for us has made a way for us to have peace with God. Light has flashed upon us, and the monster of death has burned up in its glory. And he is the wonderful counselor who has walked with us, even through the shadow of death, where nobody else can go. He has made a payment for our sin in the dark, and he's given us peace. The last idea is the most important one. It's in verse 6. Let's go back up there. He's Isaiah says, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is, what's the word? Given. It said that what is in front of us today is a gift. It's a gift. The message of Christmas is that we walk in the dark, but a light has flashed on us, and the light is Jesus, and the light of Jesus is a gift. When it comes to Christmas time, one of the things that we think of most readily is gifts, right? We think of good gifts. We think of the gifts that will play to our hopes and our dreams, but some gifts don't work that way. Some gifts kind of have an edge to them. Some gifts actually come with a message that we would rather not have. I'm thinking of a particular 20-something 
year-old person who has moved back in with his or her parents, and everything is uh, terrible in their lives, and they're not really motivated to do anything, and they walk to the mantle on Christmas morning, and they reach in their stocking only to find that their mother has put job applications there. There's no way to accept that kind of a gift, right, without also admitting something that you'd rather not admit about yourself. Maybe a better picture of that is uh, a time in your life that you've incurred financial stress to the point that you could not do it yourself. You had to ask for someone's help. You had to reach out and somebody responded and said, I will help you through this. And they actually paid a bill or they paid a mortgage or whatever they did, they gave so that you could get through the rough patch. How did that make you feel? It meant a lot of pride swallowing to show up on that doorstep and say, I can't do it by myself. It was to admit that you couldn't do it on your own. Those kind of gifts make us swallow our pride. And I bring them up because of this truth. There is not a gift in the world that should make you swallow your pride more than the gift of a child in the manger. If God had to become a human being and hang on a cross and suffer more than any human being has ever suffered so that we could be saved, then it means that we are in the worst shape imaginable. If nothing less than the death of the Son of God would save us from our sin, if our sin is that great, then it means that we are in total darkness. It means that we'll never get out of it. It means that we are not people who can pull ourselves together and live upright and moral lives. Christmas is both more wonderful and more threatening than we can imagine. Accepting this gift that has flashed into our world, the gift of Jesus, means to admit that there is something wrong with us, that we need help that we can't help ourselves enough to get out of our dark pit. To accept this gift is to get low. It's to swallow our pride and to say, God, I'm bumping around in the dark. I don't know where I'm going. I'm lost and I'm trapped here forever. What I need is the true light. And the good news of Christmas is that that light has come. Jesus, the life, the truth, the joy, has been given to you as a gift. His salvation is available for you today to accept. Would you admit that you need help today and accept this light that has flashed in our world and lit?